the man of tomorrow is here for a little star wars update we have our december 2017 star wars update and man there is a lot to get into a lot to cover um i i guess i'll just put it out right in front look there's going to be spoilers 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 if you haven't seen the last jedi um if you don't want to know what happens in um Star Wars Battlefront 2, if you haven't played that, or if you haven't played the expansion pack, uh, that being Resurrection, which also came out on the 15th, um, you know, you don't want to, you, you might want to skip this. <laughs> so, because I'm just going to talk about it and I'm just going to let it, let it ride. Um, but yeah, we're going to cover, we're going to cover Battlefront 2. We're going to give like a really full in-depth review of that. We're going to talk about Canto Bite, the book Canto Bite. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Cobalt Squadron, which was another book that came out actually on the 15th, same as the quote-unquote release day um, of The Last Jedi. We're going to review some of some of the comics that have been coming out as late, including uh, recent issues of Poe Dameron, recent issues of Dr. Aphra. Woo, boy, Dr. Aphra. Uh, and then also we'll talk about in the the main Star Wars ongoing comic, we'll, we'll get uh, some reviews in on that. There might be some other stories we'll be able to get into, but uh, but not sure that I'll be able to do that. You know, ironically, just as part of an update, so Wikipedia actually keeps a uh, listing of all of the like upcoming books to to come out, uh, you, you know, whatever's coming out over the next few months, you know, whatever they have in their timeline. And it usually goes ahead, eh, you know, about six, nine months, maybe even a year that they plan out. And I mean, obviously, a company like Lucasfilm has this stuff, uh, you know, pretty well mapped out, uh, you know, and, and, you know, really mapped out deep. But I noticed, you know, we actually there there aren't a lot of books planned. Uh, in fact, I think the next major book that I saw listed. Well, I mean, there's the novelization, which is crazy that it's taking this long. But there's the novelization of The Last Jedi that's coming out in March, which is probably around the same time that the Blu-ray comes out uh, for, you know, for The Last Jedi. So and why the reasoning behind that, I have no idea. The junior novelization came out on the 15th for The Last Jedi. But I mean, this is just this is more of that weirdness. And, and I don't the only thing I can figure is, is it was some kind of spoiler, you know, spoiler control. But why not? Then. All right, fine. Then push it off till January. You know, why go all the way to March to wait for that? Uh, really annoying. Or it's a way to, to try and force ticket sales. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're what they're thinking is here. But anyway, the other major book to come out doesn't come out, I think, till June, and that's um, Thrawn Alliances, which, of course, is, you know, I mean, the number one book that I'm looking forward to, certainly, no matter what they announce, it's going to be the one that I'm looking forward to because Thrawn, you know, again, is my favorite Star Wars character. Uh, but I, I'm i kind of shocked. Like, there were, there were almost no novels, you know, full-on novels of any kind really announced. Now, I don't know if that's because Star Wars is going to be so busy going into May with Solo, you know, with Solo movie coming out and all of this. I mean, eventually we got to get a trailer here somewhere. Um, but I'm intrigued by the fact that that there are no really no novels coming out. Granted, we were getting like two novels a month, like since September. Like we've really been getting overloaded. So it's not like there isn't plenty to read up on or even catch up on. But yeah, just kind of strange. I mean, and you know, something else actually that I haven't listened to yet that I guess now I'll get my chance. Um, they released audiobook versions of some of the Forces of Destiny. Uh, like, well, well, they released book versions of some of the Forces of Destiny short episodes that we reviewed last month. 
and some like they expand like like the the stories are expanded there's more lines and everything in them and they actually made audiobooks at least of the first couple volumes of them um and i i or they made an audiobook and there's more those are some of the things that are coming out is there's more uh, uh novelization shall we say obviously they're for like junior readers but more novelizations of um of forces of destiny episodes to come out. Hopefully they'll come out as audiobooks as well. Otherwise I'll just read them flat. Uh, but I'll be checking those out and I'll do a bit of a review on those. Uh, but those are things that I have not listened to yet. I can't imagine they're that long though. And then there is the book series, which I I'm pretty sure does not have. Well, actually I know it doesn't have an audiobook to it. Uh, there's the adventures in wild space, which this is interesting. These are, these are more kind of kiddish, you know, again, junior novels or whatever, not even young adult, but junior novels. Uh, but I want to check them out. I love the concept of wild space in Star Wars, like which is just this part of the, you know, it's not even the unknown regions. Wild space is something completely different. In fact, um, I've been writing for a better part of a year. I've been writing a uh, audio drama for Star Wars. Some of you listening may know about it. Um, I'm actually going to like this is going to be a full, full, full cast uh, affair. And, um, you know, like wild space is is a big part of the story so like i want to check out and see exactly what they say you know inside of these books granted they're you know it's it's a book for kids and kind of about kids but uh but i'm intrigued what the hell you know and uh, these you know back in the 90s this used to be kind of a popular thing like they had the star wars galaxy of fear books that were really great some of the best star wars books out there but they're meant you know they're like scholastic novels you know like they're meant for people in like I don't know, anywhere from third to maybe sixth grade or something like that, whatever. Um, and there were some other ones, too, like the Glove of Darth Vader. There was that series that had the, the Emperor's son. What was the name? Triclops or something like that. Um, you know, all that was pretty good storytelling. And what was nice is, you know, you could have you could read a Star Wars adventure in very short order, you know, in, 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 inside well inside of a couple hours, if that. Uh, so. Yeah, so I'll be checking those out, and uh, and I will be doing uh, some degree of a review on them as well, if there's anything really worth reviewing. But I'll talk about it and just say, if at the very least, I'll let you know if I enjoyed them or if I think you know your kids would enjoy them. Though I can't imagine what kid doesn't enjoy Star Wars, regardless of its context. So, uh, so there's all that. There's other books coming out in 2018. There is a guide to lightsabers written by Pablo Hidalgo. I'm hoping that that's like a full-on reference guide and not just something for children. There's going to be another book on uh, vehicles and weapons, I think. Uh, you know, a, a reference guide that'll be coming out. Um, I'm definitely excited for those two. I mean, there's stuff coming out. It's just, it's not the amount, like, we for a while here, especially throughout 2017, we were really getting like a novel a month, at least. And now there's like nothing. So, I mean, that gives me time to certainly, you know, to, to consume other things. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe they're going to change their mind. Maybe they have other stuff that they want to announce. Uh, certainly the comic book aspect of things is really heated up for 27 or for 2018. You have the uh, comic bookization. Is that, can, is that a term of, um, of the original Thrawn book that's going to be coming out. Uh, and there's just a, a slew of other comics. I know we're getting into the comic book about DJ from the last Jedi in January. Can't wait for that. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff, uh, but really, and we'll talk about this more later. The comic books is right now, in my opinion, is where Star Wars is really shining. Uh, like, I mean, where, where, you know, the, the franchise is going in new directions is making it sexy even. And oh yeah, very sexy. Uh, and you know, keeping it 
allowing for perhaps the older demographics to enjoy themselves. So, uh, but we'll talk about more about that later. So let's get, let, let's start talking about things here um, that we have on our list. Cause again, we got a lot to, a uh, lot to break down. So let's start it off with probably the most contentious outside of perhaps the movie, the last Jedi itself, um, perhaps the most contentious uh, subject in star Wars fandom, that being battlefront Two, the video game battlefront two from EA. So um, I talked about, I, I gave a whole rant about all the bullshit that they were doing with their pricing structures and, and, you know, all on the loot crates and all that other stuff. Um, I mean, just the, just the insane crap that they had been pulling. Um, but I'm not really going to talk about the multiplayer because I think the multiplayer is still kind of is really taking shape. Um, even though there was, you know, if you bought, so I bought the, uh, I bought the, what is it? The Imperial or the trooper elite trooper deluxe edition of it. Okay. On origin. So that was like 80 bucks, I guess. I, you know, I bought that months ago. I had that pre-ordered. And if you bought the Elite Trooper edition, you got the, you know, season pass for free and you would get all future content to get to be released, supposedly for free. And so on the 15th, there was a, a major expansion. There was the expansion to the single player, that being Resurrection, which gave us, you know, a few more missions and uh, with Inversio. And then there was um, and then there was stuff added into the uh, the multiplayer. So the multiplayer, I haven't messed with a whole lot because I was really more interested in playing this game for the single player anyway. So that's mainly what I'm going to center on with my reviews, the single player and story overall, um, as far as reviewing the game itself. Uh, so we're not going to get into the multiplayer. I might talk more about the multiplayer. I mean, look, if there's time frames where I'm not listening to Star Wars books over the next few months, obviously I'm going to be able to play uh, a lot more Battlefront 2 or, you know, whatever else tickles my fancy. I do. I am into a lot more things than just Star Wars. So. Anyway, um, so the Battlefront 2, again, we're not going to get into the controversy. We're just going to talk raw, straight up wh- what is the single player like and about the story and all this and how it really fits in with the broader Star Wars canon because it is canon. Um, you know, gameplay wise, like th- this is it's kind of a shame, really, that there is so much negativity that really has to do with the multiplayer. I mean, the one argument you can make against a single player is that it's short, like it's not like a long mission. You know, you you can you can top out the game really well under six hours, I think. But, you know, six hours is probably the average that I've heard uh, that people have done it. And then, you know, you might get another hour or two out of um, out of the expansion pack uh, that came out of called Resurrection that came out on the 15th. So, um, you know, you could argue about that, but otherwise, like the gameplay is awesome. Um, the controls, very fluid, very solid. There's a very nice mixture of hopping in vehicles, using things in the environment, uh, you know, like, like, you know, heavy blasters and all that stuff that are mounted on tripods, um, getting access, you know, hopping in, uh, you know, ATATs, ATSTs, um, even the, the more, uh, mount types. I don't, I don't think they call them, well, ATMTs were a different thing anyway, but there used to be the ATPTs, the personal transports, but that was back in the old expanded universe days. Um, that, that was from the air to the empire trilogy. So I don't know exactly if they call it that, but Regardless, there's lots of vehicular stuff that you can kind of get into with it. Uh, as far as the space battles go, you hop in TIE fighters, you hop in X-Wings, you hop in all that, and you get to fly them around. And it's very satisfying space combat, in my opinion. Um, it's not TIE fighter. Like, it's not as good as the game TIE fighter. It's not a full-on flight sim. 
but it's very satisfying in what you get to do. And I mean, it feels a little on rails, but not, you know, you have enough control to where you get to have a really good time with it. Um, and the, the interesting thing, and if I were to level a complaint and this has more to do with the story than anything else. And, and there's another complaint to make about the story, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. If I were to level any complaint, it would actually be that the entire, not, not counting resurrection, not counting the, the expansion, just the, the, the single player campaign that you go through, it all happens within a literal year because again, spoiler alerts folks. So it goes from, you know, you start off right. I, I mean, you're, you're on Endor. You know, it's you're talking about the, the you know, the rebel fleet amassing near Sullust. You know, you're talking about all, you know, all of that. You're going to Endor. You have the Death Star, too. So you're at the end of Return of the Jedi, which in the way Star Wars does its calendar, or at least for people that, you know, for the fans, how that how they measure time is you have what's called ABY and BBY. So ABY means after the Battle of Yavin, which is episode four, A New Hope, right? The first Star Wars movie. And BBY means before the Battle of Yavin. Okay, so, you know, episode four is when the Battle of Yavin takes place. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, Empire Strikes Back takes place like three ABY and then Return of the Earth, like three point five ABY, whatever. Yeah, like three, three ABY. And then Return of the Jedi is four ABY. Okay, the Battle of Jakku that you keep hearing about in The Force Awakens and never gets mentioned again, even though it's this major galactic conflict as, as far as in the movies go. Um, the Battle of Jakku actually takes place in 5 ABY. So it's just a year after, okay, Return of the Jedi, that this huge battle that ends up, you know, being the, the formative, the formation of the New Republic in a very real sense, and the the complete end of the Galactic Empire. All of that happens within a year. So a lot of what you read, say, in... Um, you know, like with the the aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig, which is which are probably the weak some of the weakest, if not the weakest, uh, books in uh, in the new Star Wars canon. When you read those, they um, you know, I mean, the bulk of that that's all happening within like this this very short time span. You know, uh, because it ends up on the Battle of Jakku, so so there's only a year in between. Uh, now I thought that, and I'm. And I can look back. I haven't had I haven't had the opportunity to look back into it. But I thought that they said that this was going to span many years, like that there was going to be. I mean, okay, when you get to the end of the story, sure, it takes place decades later. But I thought they were saying that, like, you know, you would see this character of Aiden Versio, uh, who's the main character, the female character, uh, you know, played by uh, just the amazing Janina Gavankar. Uh, that you would see her go through some kind of an evolution. But I guess that evolution really only happens inside of a year, which is kind of fast. I mean, yeah, you could say the gameplay doesn't last long. Well, the story goes through a pretty short time period, in my opinion, too. Uh, way too short of a time period. So I won't go into, you know, won't give like an overall, uh, uh, you know, breakdown of the plot. But the basic premise is, again, spoilers, okay, the basic premise is, and this is like as soon as Return of the Jedi is over, you go right into um, what's called uh, the comic book Star Wars Shattered Empire, which has to do with Operation Cinder, which you find out the Emperor pretty much if, if the Emperor ever died, he had a plan for the Empire to destroy itself. Like he, he had set it up so that that 
you know, because his his theory was is that if the empire can't defend the emperor, then the empire is a failure. And so let it all burn. And so Operation Cinder is all about destroying actually the empire destroying itself. Like, you know, it has these plans where you destroy all the major planets in the empire. You destroy all of the emperor's, uh, you know, secret caches of um, uh, weaponry and experimental labs and all this different stuff. You just you destroy everything, you know, and. Um, so this, you know, the first few missions of this game deals with Aiden Versio and her team, that being called Infernal Squad, which if you read the book Battlefront 2 Infernal Squadron, which was a great book, by the way, um, you know, you, you have you know, these characters, you know, fairly well. Um, you know, you have uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Del Mico, and then you have Gideon Hask, who are part of it. And there was a fourth member, but she, you know, spoiler alert, in Inferno Squad, the book, she dies. Um, anyway, so, you know, you're following these uh, these characters. And what pretty much happens is, you know, again, you're helping out Operation Cinder. And, uh, you know, you're you're paying attention, just like in the book Inferno Squadron. Um, you know, the character of Aiden, she, you know, she's under the command of her actual father, Admiral Versio, who, you know, tells, sends her on missions, whatever else. And it gets to the point where, as part of Operation Cinder, they have to destroy the Versio's home planet. And Aiden has a problem with this. It was a Vandor. She has a real problem with this. And she's like, oh, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to do this. And eventually it ends up with a conflict where her and Dell uh, end up, you know, separating from um, from Gideon, Gideon Hask. And, you know, Gideon Hask stays loyal. And they're trying to save this this character named Gleb, who is is that an Aqualish? I think she's an Aqualish. And the claim, I mean, which is interesting in itself, because here you find out you're, you have to rescue this one person from your home planet uh, because they're really good at train, training loyal officers. And obviously this fits in or this would appear to fit in with the plan of what to do for the First Order, even though when you get to the game Resurrection, maybe it's a different story. But anyway, um, so you have to save this. I, I think it's Aqualish. I think that that's the race. It's the same one as... Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Dr. Evazan and uh, Pondababa. If you remember from episode four, Pondababa, you know, Dr. Evazan and Pondababa. Pondababa is the one that gets his arm cut off. They they look like that. That's that. I'm fairly certain that's Aqualish. Anyway, um, so this uh, so you, you say that and then but then you end up going rogue and eventually you end up, you know, leaving the Empire. This happens inside of just a few missions in a very short period of time. Um, within the game itself that you leave the empire. Now here's kind of problem number one. Okay. I mean, and I get it like, wow, you're watching your homeworld get destroyed by the empire itself. The emperor is dead. You know, Aiden, her whole world is turned upside down for Dell. It's a little bit different because there's a mission where he meets Luke Skywalker when he's trying to, de- to destroy one of the emperor's uh, like experimental facilities. Um, which it's cool to have, you know, r- real quick, it's cool to have Luke Skywalker and to play as Luke Skywalker for a little bit, because especially if, you know, when you go into The Last Jedi, again, spoiler alerts, folks, when you go into The Last Jedi, you know, we don't get green lightsaber wielding, triple black wearing Luke Skywalker. Well, you get him for a little bit. And again, it's canon. You get him for a little bit in uh, Battlefront 2 and it's welcome. And the, it, they do a good job with, you know, with with Luke Skywalker. So 
you know, Iden just totally, you know, becomes a turncoat. Her, her and uh, uh, Del Miko, they become turncoats and they effectively end up joining the, you know, the Republic or, or the New Republic or the Rebellion, you know, depending on what you want to call it at the time. Um, again, all of this is happening within between Return of the Jedi and the Battle of Jakku. So just within a year, all of this stuff uh, happens. So now it's a pretty quick turnaround. Now, that this seems to be the number one complaint with the story is that in very short order, your character ends up leaving the Empire when the major selling point of the game is that the game is from the Imperial perspective. Obviously, it's not like easily 80 percent of the single player is has to do with you know, has Iden in the, in the rebellion. Okay. So it doesn't, you know, I, I, this is just more of just like I was talking about in episode, was that episode 256 uh, of sovereign tech where I did my full review of the of star Wars, the last Jedi. This is what I was talking about in the last Jedi, like the marketing and the hype machine and the bullshit that Disney and not just Disney, but even like, you know, people outside of Disney that they're peddling is is really like it's not reality it's really out of hand it, it seems because I, I guarantee you a lot of people bought this game because they thought "Ooh, i get to play the bad guy i i did you know if i knew i was just going to end up becoming a rebel honestly i probably wouldn't have bought it i wanted to do it because i wanted to be a fucking imperial in the game and you're only an imperial i mean for a super short period of time and you know, look, if they didn't sell it that way as it being like, I mean, because you have you and I get it like this is supposed to be the major hook that you didn't know was going to happen. Right. That Iden's going to turn. It's fine that she turns. It just happens really fast in the game. I agree with that, with that critique against it. OK, especially since all of them again, all of the marketing, even at like E3, you had Janina Gavin Carter herself going out in her special forces, you know, because the Infernal Squadron's like this special forces for the Imperials. She goes out there in her special forces uniform. She's not going out there in rebel uniform, which would have been more fitting because that's most of the time what she is. So really, I mean, I yeah, I I, I thought that, that that was kind of annoying. However, however, if I didn't know that. If we weren't told that that this was supposed to be that the big deal about the game was that you're going to be or, you know, was that you get to be an imperial, you get to be one of the bad guys and you get the imperial perspective. The the, the story's great. I mean, this is a genuinely great story, like the script, the writing and all that is phenomenal. And honestly, anything that happens after her turn is kind of meaningless until you get to the Battle of Jakku. And let me tell you, this is like the best way to experience the Battle of Jakku, because yeah, Chuck Wendig did all right writing it. Um, yeah, you get a little bit of it in Legends, Legends of Luke Skywalker, and that's a battle that goes on for months, uh, apparently. But regardless, like this is, you know, you get the full blown experience of what the Battle of Jakku was like, just how big, you know, of a, of a war uh, that that was. And it's impressive. I mean, the visuals are absolutely impressive in this. Um, but again, it's a shame that, that we were once again, were sold a bill of goods that this was going to be an imperial game it's not and if it just wasn't sold that way i think people would would have you know been far more forgiving of the storyline um because it's a great story like i mean as soon as you know when you start turning over to the rebellion uh lando calrissian's in it and they even got billy d williams to do the voice for it which is great uh lando is hilarious like there are genuine laugh out loud moments throughout this whole thing there's the new character of shiv who's a duros who works with you 
He's great. I mean, he's really great and just so goddamn funny. Um, you get to play as Leia in it. You, there's points where you get to play as Han Solo. You get to play as Lando eventually, too. So, I mean, you, like you, you get a greatest hits here and it's forwarding the story in a very real sense. And it gives you a very good picture of what the rebellion slash New Republic struggle was like in that year's time after Return of the Jedi all the way up to Battle of Jakku. Um, I mean, it does a much better job of telling you that and giving you interesting stuff to chew on um, than, say, you know, the entire Aftermath trilogy does of novels. So it's totally worth it. I mean, like, like the, the story is great. It's just I think people were annoyed at the story because they were told they were getting one thing and it ends up being another. And, you know, that kind of bait and switch without any lead up or without enough time it just feels really annoying. And I, and I understand that. But, man, I mean, once Lando's in there, like you're you're hooked. <laughs> like really and it, it you know with the imperial stuff too it was really cool while it lasted i mean like this is really cool equipment they get to play with um her droid that helps you out through it that gets to do like slicing and can shock that can be like a long-range weapon uh its name is dio uh that that like hooks up to her back on her you know that that functions almost like a backpack on her uh that's really cool like i mean that's a cool idea there's a lot of really cool ideas in this um, even some of the force powers that Luke gets to use where he like, you know, kind of does a almost like a soup, not a Superman punch. That's when you're flying through the air, but like a <laughs> like a really heroic, like punch, a punch to the, you know, to the ground. And it just, you know, sends fucking, you know, stormtroopers flying everywhere, you know, within a certain radius. Uh, that's really cool. There is an awesome. And again, understand this stuff's canon. You know, when when you get to play Princess Leia on those levels, you're actually going through you're on Naboo, which is in Shattered Empire. You know, you you find out why you're there. Um, So there's a lot of a lot of this game pays homage to the prequels, which I also thought was very nice and was an excellent inclusion within the story itself. Like I said, the story's great. Just you got to get over the hump that, no, this isn't really an imperial story. If they didn't sell it that way, I think people would still be talking about how, holy shit, that was such a great story. And it was, it was like, I mean, there, there's just genuinely funny, funny fucking shit that happens in it too, which, you know, is, is a mark of Star Wars, um, or at least everything except maybe the prequels. <laughs> but um, yeah, but on, on Naboo, like you find out that uh, Queen Amidala at one point installed a, like a, a very powerful weapon. Well, I mean, debatable if you want to call it a weapon, but, you know, I mean, the the, the people of Naboo are kind of kind of pacifist, kind of. And she installed an EMP that could that would generate from from the palace in Thede if there was ever like a major invasion that would end up wiping everything out, which would make sense why she would install that, because, you know, during episode one, you're dealing mainly with battle droids and this would have wiped them out completely. And it's, and you know, you get to set the thing off and, and it, it, I thought it was a really cool idea because it fits in kind of with that, what we know of Naboo culture, where again, it is kind of pacifist. Uh, you know, you'd use an EMP to just disable everything. I mean, it, it was, yeah, I, there's so many cool things that get done with this uh, storyline wise um, that I really dig. Now you, you end off, um, you know, at the end of it, you, the battle of Jakku is won. There's no spoiler alert there. You've already known that that's been true since the force awakens. Okay. The battle of Jakku gets won. Um, pretty much, you know, Del Miko, uh, you know, Iden Versio and Shiv, they all survive. Um, and they keep getting called. This is kind of cool. They keep getting called Inferno squadron, even though they convert to the, you know, to the rebellion. Um, I thought that was kind of a nice touch. 
you know, that, oh, no, they're, they're still Infernal Squad. And like, well, OK. Um, and then at the end of the game, you go forward like it goes forward like 30 years. It goes pretty much right to uh, the force, the time of the Force Awakens. And you get to for a brief moment, you get to play as Kylo Ren. And it's a pretty awesome moment. In fact, it's a very unique style of gameplay, because like what he's doing is, is that he encounters um, you go back to the character of Gleb, who is working for the First Order, obviously, you know, training loyal, loyal officers, soldiers, whatever. Uh, and uh, you find out that. Like he, he they pretty much. So, okay. So, so I Versio and, um, and Dell, they end up having a daughter. Okay. Her name's Zay. And they, uh, like they don't, they don't stay in the resistance. They don't join the resistance. They're just kind of doing their own thing. And for whatever reason, Dell gets tricked to, to land on a certain planet and, um, and he becomes a trap for, uh, for Gideon to, you know, to eventually like get his revenge on really on, on Iden Versio. Uh, so, you know, so it, a lot of that is about Hask, you know, getting again, getting his revenge. So Hask, uh, you, you know, Hask, well, Ky- Kylo Ren comes to find out about the status of all this different stuff and what's going on. That's how Hask ends up. It looks like that's how Hask ends up there as well. It does they, they don't give a whole ton of story on that. But when you're playing Kylo Ren, so you're trying to get information about the map of Luke Skywalker. That's what Kylo Ren's trying to do. And he's trying to get it from, uh, from Del Mico. And, you know, Aiden and his daughter are off somewhere else. So when he does that, it's him like doing his mind trick that he does in, uh, you know, in the force awakens where he tries to like extract information from your mind and you get to play effectively in Del Mico's mind. And so you're going through, you kind of go backwards through the entire game again in a very short way. And it's all like, it's supposed to be representing Del Mico's mind fighting off uh, Kylo Ren's influence, which you'd think if Del Mico, you know, he was, since he was part of Infernal Squadron and Imperial Special Forces, he probably has some advanced anti-interrogation training of some kind that, that maybe would help him with this. I don't know. But anyway, so you get to go around as Kylo Ren and like the whole, the, the whole level as you're doing this or levels, like they're all kind of wavy to make it look like you're in the mind, like, and it's kind of psychedelic. And it's a, it's a really neat idea. Like, I got to give them credit for being very creative with doing that. Um, Of course, what ends up happening is, you know, according to, well, what ends up happening is he gets, you know, Kylo Ren gets the information that he needs from Del Mico. Then, uh, you know, then Hask comes in and Hask ends up offing Del Mico and Del Mico dies. Okay, you know, he survives everything that happens all the way up to the Battle Jakku, all the way up to the Force Awakens, and then he just gets offed by Hask, who's now, uh, you know, a big wig in the First Order. And so in and Hask's plan is that this will bring, um, you know, this will bring Aiden Verso to him so that he can get his revenge on Aiden. And so that's where Resurrection picks up. Resurrection picks up right after that, and it's, it opens, and this is the expansion pack, and it opens up with, uh, with Aiden and Zay, her daughter, you know, her and Delmico's daughter, flying around in X-Wings. It, it's a pretty cool sequence. And so you get to open it up flying X-Wings, and, and that's pretty nice. And then they get a message from Shiv, and they're like, well, what happened to Del? We don't know. We just found his ship, the Corvus, you know, kind of floating around, whatever. And 
it turns into this big mission where they end up running into Hask and they end up finding about what they what what is called Project Resurrection, which is the training program for how they how the First Order steals children, much like they did with Finn, right? Steals children and trains them to be stormtroopers and officers and, and whatever else. And that's what Project Resurrection is. And so the whole thing is trying to get all of this information about Project Resurrection, and also they find out about Imperial Dreadnoughts, which is what The Last Jedi opens up with, you know, all of the, the schematics for a Dreadnought, and getting all of that to the Resistance, okay? Now, here's the part that sucks. So, you end up with a much older Iden Versio, right? Because, obviously, this is taking place, you know, almost 30 years later from when you, you know, from the game originally ended, or, well from when the Battle of Jakku ended. Obviously, the game did end around the time of The Force Awakens when you fast forward to the death of Del Mico. Um, and this... They kill Aiden Versio. <laughs> like, the mission is a success, and obviously this makes sense. This is how the Resistance finds out about, you know, how what to do against a Dreadnought, and that leads directly into the opening of The Last Jedi. Kudos to them for that, because, you know, all right, how did, how did they know how to use these bombers? How did they know, um, you know, how exactly did Poe Dameron know, you know, like, where to shoot and what their weapons were capable of? They knew all of this because the weapons were stolen um, from Hask's main Star Destroyer by Aiden Versio, uh, Shiv and her, not Shiv, but Shiv and, uh, and her daughter, Zay, who, you know, Shiv is in the Resistance. Zay ends up joining the Resistance at the end, uh, but they kill Aiden Versio. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? Like, can we stop just like offing characters? And, and it honestly, it felt kind of cheap. So, you know, but what didn't feel cheap, I'll tell you, is Leia appears in it. You know, old Leia, you know, General Organa, as in Last Jedi, General Organa uh, is in it. And that was a pretty powerful moment when she shows up um, and she sends Zay and Shiv off to, you know, some other mission or whatever. So I thought it was cheap that you you build up this character, you make such a big deal out of this character. You have Janita Gavankar appearing on the Jimmy Kimmel show, you know, being this real ambassador for Star Wars and everything, and her character just gets offed. You know, yeah, we've got like 30 years to play with the character and to maybe to find out more, but this is another problem with the game with with Battlefront in general, with Battlefront 2 in general is that the single player, like it's so well done. The story is so great. Even even Resurrection is a pretty good story, even though it's just kind of bonus missions and it doesn't add doesn't necessarily add that much more, other than you know the final fate of Aiden Versio. Um, and, and you know, and it leads in nicely to the Last Jedi, admittedly. But this is so expensive to do. I don't think we're going to get a lot more single player, because I mean, it's it's got to be crazy expensive to put together campaigns like that the way that EA did. And with the fact that, well, they're not making money off of loot crates right now. They're not making much money off. I mean, the only thing they're making money off is sales of the game. And even those sales have got to be tanking based upon, you know, the extremely negative press that it's getting. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that we're not going to, you know, what with what was such a great story and was so well done, was such a beautiful game. And really the single player especially was a beautiful game. I I don't know if we're going to get more and I'm really disappointed by that. Like that, that annoys the fuck out of me because um, I think, you know, considering the price we paid, yeah, we're due some more single player. 
you know, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what ends up happening. But right now, the way things look, I don't think we're going to end up getting more. And and that is, in my opinion, that is just so fucking shitty. Because sure, I'll play the multiplayer a bit, but that's not my main selling point. You know, I tell me a story. It's one of the best things video games can do is tell a story. Multiplayer is great, but tell me a story. I want stories in my games. That's why I'm such a big fan of, uh, you know, of the Tensei games and of, uh, you know, Dragon Quest and, uh, you know, even Final Fantasy and all that, because I want the story. Give me a story. And that's why I'm a big fan of Star Wars, because the story is always so great. Um, you know, and the action's great too, which certainly this game delivers on the action. I mean, you really like this feels so viscerally Star Wars and the, uh, the graphics are phenomenal, like the lighting and everything, everything just looks amazing. It, it really delivers on all fronts. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pleased and at the same time disappointed. And I don't feel like I'm really going to end up getting my mon- my money's worth out of this game. And so I will not be, as I said in my previous kind of when I raised when I talked about in Sovereign Tech Prime, I won't be buying any future EA games um, unless I know that they've got this shit licked or that we're going to get a lot more storyline or whatever. Like they've got to do more. Um, And it's a pity because if they concentrated way more on that single player, I think they would have had a game that would have sold really, really well, you know, but Anyway, okay, I spent way too long talking about that. <laughs> so let's start talking about uh, the novels. Let, let's let's shift years fast here. Um, so the novels. So we had, I think it was December 4th, 2017, um, there was the anthology book called Canto Bite. You know, Journey to the Last Jedi, Star Wars, Canto Bite. Canto Bite. And these are four stories, I think it was four, that have to do with, um, that have to do with the planet uh, Cantonica, that's how you pronounce it. I know you would think it was Cantonica since it's Canto Bite, Canto, Cantonica, but instead it's Cantonica, whatever. So uh, this has to do on Cantonica. There are no, really no major characters whatsoever. These are completely standalone stories. They could have been released at any time. I can't think of a single bit of it that really like pointed at any any spoilers or anything that had any real bearing in The Last Jedi. I mean, you find out more around kind of the, like the, the economy and culture around the Fathiers, you know, those, uh, the, like the Star Wars version of horses, the Fathier races and everything. You find out more about that. I mean, and really, I guess part of the pity is, as I said in my review of The Last Jedi, like the Canto Bite sequence is the worst part of the film, you know, like it really takes away. And this book does nothing to add in to somehow make it more exciting or more interesting. Um, it really doesn't. And the thing, you know, part of the, I think this book's completely forgettable, like just completely forgettable. You know, um, there might maybe in the sequence in the last Jedi in the Canto bite sequence, you, there might've been characters that were in that sequence that were mentioned in the book, but it doesn't matter. They don't do jack shit. Okay, how much time do you really spend on the gambling floor in Canto Bight in The Last Jedi? You really don't. Even though there's deleted scenes that supposedly go longer, whatever. Yeah, that'll be the day if we see those. Or, I mean, we'll see some of them, I'm sure, on the Blu-ray or something. But anyway, this book's totally forgettable, and I'll tell you why. Just like in, just like Canto Bight in The Last Jedi, where it's kind of the one area that didn't really feel like Star Wars. Like, it seemed way too earthly. You know, it seemed way too, way too Las Vegas 
way, you know, just way too earthly. Like the designs, everybody's wearing tuxes and all stuff. Like nothing about it really felt like it was the one part of the movie that didn't feel like Star Wars. And that's part of what takes you out as well. Okay. Um, I would not be surprised. Now, there's like four different authors for this book for Canto Bite because, again, it's an anthology. So there's four different stories. I seriously would not be surprised if they took some Las Vegas pulp novels from the 50s and they just really cleverly and look people actually do this sort of thing on um on uh, uh, like on Amazon and you know with Kindle books and with even with audiobooks and all this where they will use software that will just change the names in a story and then they'll resell the book it happens all the time it's it's really like and and people make money doing this sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they just took some gambling. I mean, like, there's no starship battles. There's nothing about it that makes it Star Wars. They literally could have taken, like, the plot for Kenny Rogers, The Gambler, one of those movies, because there's more than one, right? Uh, you know, and just and just put it on, on Cantonica and change the name of a few things, and boom, you've got a Star Wars novel. This is, this was such a cheap cash-in, in my opinion. Like the, the so there's there's two things of any kind of interest. Like I said, there's the father, uh, you know, uh, uh, culture around the fathers, and then it does bring up Sabak, and it kind of gives you the rules for Sabak. Which this book, speaking of rules, follows the rule of just about any every other Star Wars novel. There's only something interesting that has relevance to the entire Star Wars universe in the last chapter, and in this one, it's no different. You get an explanation of how Sabak is actually played. In, in this book. Okay. And that, that's kind of interesting to finally hear, like, I mean, and they give very specific rules in it. And so obviously, you know, Disney at some point is going to make it either a big part of their, uh, uh, you know, whatever their attractions, you know, that you can go to at Disney world or whatever, um, or they're going to sell it, you know, they're going to sell Sabak and try and make it a thing with the kids. I mean, I, you know, I don't know which, whatever, teach kids to gamble. Okay. So <laughs> way to go, Disney. You're really, you know, putting up those high morals. Um, I th- yeah this this book is totally forgettable totally forgettable it was a complete waste of time to listen to uh I was I didn't expect much from it so I guess my feeling of disappointment is kind of assuaged because I I just kind of figured yeah this isn't going to be anything interesting at all and the father races are fuck just put in the pod races man why can't you have pod races then at least it would have been exciting just like most people admit that if there's one scene in or not or at least a lot of people that i've encountered they'll admit if there's one scene of episode one that was actually really cool it was the pod race scene you know and i agree i think that that was really cool do something like the father of races were boring as fuck whether you read them or you watch them in the last shadow or whatever the fuck's going on it's just bullshit and so yeah i uh if they put pod races in the book, they could have had something, but then they probably wouldn't have been able to just, I don't know, again, just, just copy and paste from some book about Las Vegas in the fifties, you know, and put it into, you know, put it on in Canto Bite instead. Uh, th- this was really, really ugly business in my opinion on Disney's part. Um, they, they should frankly be ashamed of themselves. And in fact, they even posted, they did a blog post on starwars.com about it saying like the five reasons or something that you should read Canto bite probably because they knew nobody's going to read this fucking book because it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, you know, the writing's serviceable, but I mean, like you walk away with practically nothing from it. So dumb. 
oh man, so don't bother. Please don't bother reading this book. If unless you're a completist, like a completionist like me, where you just have to ingest everything, um, which that can be a curse as much as it can be interesting. You know, please don't read this. It's just not worth the, you know, not worth the while. So, okay. So there you go about Canto Bite. Um, and this falls in, I mean, and Hey, may, I don't know, you know, maybe Disney is running. Maybe this is why there aren't novels coming out too many novels coming out next year. They're running out of, maybe they're already running out of steam. I don't know what the fuck. And, and which is hard to believe. Maybe they, they're, they're concerned. They don't know where things are going to go with episode nine. You know, maybe they have all these concerns. Like I said, in my review of episode eight, you know, I said it, it's not like there was any really big secrets. Like there wasn't any like, okay, you know, the star Wars universe has completely changed the way that it operates because of what happens in this movie, which is what I was expecting. And I figured that's why they were holding off and they were coming out with all these kind of cheap shot books, much like, um, you know, Canto bite and some others. No, no, (laughs) I don't think I can't, I cannot imagine Unless they're going to say that at some point, which is what I wanted them to say, but I don't expect it. Unless they're going to come out and say that, well, actually, the dark side are the good guys because they're the only ones that will be honest with you. And, well, if you look at the Star Wars saga, notice it's always the the Sith that are actually telling the truth. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Think about it. It's true. Um, You know, it's the Jedi that are always lying. It's the good guys that are always lying. So... You know, unless they're going to come out and say that, like, I can't picture that somehow the Star Wars universe is just going to fundamentally change somehow. Like, Disney is clearly not interested in going that distance. At least not in the movies or seemingly in the books. So, okay, let's talk about the the other book, the book that came out on the 15th, which this isn't a junior novel, but definitely on the younger, younger adult novel uh, side. And this book is uh, Cobalt Squadron. And it has to do with, uh, I mean, the main characters really are uh, Rose and Paige Tico. Now, again, spoiler alerts, Paige Tico dies within, you know, the first 20 minutes of The Last Jedi. Uh, And so you get a little more understanding in this book of where Rose comes from, where Paige comes from, their kind of relationship, what they've gone through, um, why Rose seems to be so brilliant when she's just like this simple worker, you know, aboard... um, uh, aboard the Radis, how did she even get aboard the Radis, etc. You get a bigger, a, a greater uh, explanation of how the uh, Star Fortress bombers work, which I think those were one of the really cool aspects of um, of the Last Jedi. Which those are the ones that drop the bombs, you know, like right on that dreadnought in the beginning. Uh, you get a better understanding of how those function and operate and all that. Um, you learn a lot more. You learn about that symbol, which I figured as much that the Cobalt Squadron book would explain, like, what's this, like, yin-yang thing that, uh, you know, that Rose is wearing and that Paige probably had one, too, uh, or that, that she had one, too, you know. And that, you find out that's actually, like, the shape of the star system that they come from. You know, it's, it. I got to admit, okay, like, Having having an Asian character, okay, act or having Asian actresses, you know, like Rose and Page, okay, play like Star Wars kind of got into a little bit of race. Can I use the term racialism? And like, and you know, having the yin yang represent their system and all this stuff, like it, it was a little. They were getting a little too much on the nose, you know, not not to say I necessarily have a problem with that, but it was just it was kind of it's like, OK, you've got the Asian person and they're wearing a yin yang. Like, come on, 
you know, aren't, aren't, aren't we, aren't we getting a little too shallow here? That That's maybe the term I'm looking for where, where it just felt very, very shallow. And even the way that they explained it, you know, how, how it all worked on, on their planet. Um, it was, it was a little weird. And like, they even talked about how they, like they grew up in caves sort of, and how they came out to, to see, you know, like this really bright sun. And that's why their eyes probably evolved that way, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're, they're trying to like evolutionarily explain Asians. And it was, it, it came off kind of weird. Cause it's like, well, that's a little deep for, for a kid's book. Don't you think? So anyway, but otherwise, you know, nothing, nothing major really happens in this book. Uh, it's interesting to find out more about how, again, how the Star Fortress bombers work to get a little insight into Paige and Rose's relationship, uh, as it were, you know, and, and you find out that Rose like really looked up to Paige like that, that she listened to her about everything. And so it helps make the last Jedi make a little more sense, I guess. And with the audiobook, the audiobook's like four hours long. So, I mean, you can knock it out in pretty short order, especially if you listen to two X well, and you listen to it in two hours. Uh, so yeah, just, just a basic book, but because it's so short, like I don't mind it, you know, be, because it, it's, it's like a really short adventure and you kind of get the point of what it's meant to do. I didn't mind it so much. It's not great. It's, it's totally forgettable, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting and not to say that these, you know, because it's short that it, it, it has to be forgettable because there's the, there's the, the series of books called before the awakening where there is like that, that pre story about Poe or, and then there was, there was all the, the little stories take, took place before the force awakens. There's the one about Poe. There's the one about uh, Ray. And then there's the one about Finn and the story about Finn and before the awakening, which was meant for more for kids or, you know, for junior readers. Um, was awesome. Like it gave you a ton of insight because you find out that Finn's actually kind of a badass, you know, and the fact that he ended up working, you know, sanitation and whatever else was because he just really, you know, he didn't have that killer instinct, uh, more or less, but that he was like a really great fighter and was like top marks and top of his class. And so it makes, helps make the character of Finn, you know, a lot more believable. And it also explains, you know, the encounter with traitor in the force awakens, which was an awesome moment. Right. Uh, and you know, how he very knew very well who Finn was and like, you know, they constantly fought for being top of the class. So, you know, you can get into some very deep stuff with, with, you know, these shorter books, but this one didn't do it. It was just, nah, you know, but at least it was star Wars. It wasn't like Canto bite where it could have been anything, you know, you could slap any name you want on that. And that, that book series would have fit or, you know, that, that book anthology would have fit into just about any universe you could imagine. Could have been a Star Trek book for, for, you know, for, for all it was worth. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, that's, that's the deal with the, with those two novels. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, we got, we got about 10 minutes left. Let's talk about what's going on in the comic books, which is thankfully becoming the most interesting, uh, uh, part of the star Wars canon. And I say, thankfully, because we get these comics, you know, there's like three, four different series and, you know, we get them, you know, once a week. I mean, like, like these are constant new stories that keep coming out, um, that have a lot of interesting bearing, uh, the, so real quick, the, uh, the second volume of Darth Vader, has been going famously, like I'm really enjoying the story with Jocasta new and all that. And maybe I'll give a fuller review in January when we get some conclusion to that story, because the comic books, they're doing it like what they're calling. They'll have like a, a storyline that they're running and then it'll be like part one, part two, part three with, with each, you know, so even though you're within a, 
you know, a comic book title like, say, Darth Vader or Poe Dameron, there is many series within each of these. And and that that works fairly well, as long as it doesn't go too long. It works fairly well, Um, especially if you go back and read them kind of all at once, then it works really well. But, you know, for the monthly model, well. Yeah, usually as long as they, they, they don't go into like six, seven, eight parts or something with a story, it's not so bad. So um, the Darth Vader novel or the Darth Vader comic has been very enlightening. Like I said, I, I'm going to be, I mean, like everything you're learning about with Jocasta New is, I mean, just, just fascinating. So we'll see, we'll see how that shapes up. I, I won't review that one here. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the Star Wars ongoing uh, comic. That one in particular uh, has, for a few months, they were experimenting with, instead of doing those large story arcs, they were doing, like, one-shot uh, uh, comics where, where they had, like, it was one comic, one story. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. And that is unique for Star Wars, even back from the Dark Horse days. In fact, one of my favorite Dark Horse comics was... Um, it was one of, I think it was either Star Wars or no, it wasn't Star Wars Tales. It was one of the main, it was like issue 26, I think, of the main Star Wars comic uh, or what was, was it Star Wars Republic or whatever they were calling it at the time, where it was just this one shot story about this Jedi who goes to a planet and it's almost like Legend of Zelda and he ends up, the princess really likes him. And also, I mean, it was just this fun little one shot story. And that was so great to read a comic book again, where in one fucking comic, you have a complete story that is so rare, not just Star Wars. This is true for comics across the board. I, I get it. You know, the, the big story arcs are fun, but at the same time, get, get me back to the days where I get a complete mission and one, you know, I can read one comic and I get one story. So I really like that. It was like issues like 33 to about 36 or 37. I think that they were doing that. Some of them were highlighting parts of, of bigger story arcs and kind of showing you what was going on during them. But those, those one and dones, those were really, really, I, I liked those issues a lot more than any of the story arcs that the main Star Wars comic has uh, has been doing. Now, a great friend of mine brought up a great point saying that all they're really doing, like the artistry that they're doing in these comics and the main Star Wars comic is they are um, drawing over like it looks like they're drawing over effectively photo stills from the movies, you know, to make them look that much more real. Uh, I agree. That is some lazy artistry. I mean, like, that's some really lazy artistry on their part. Why not? And like he said, you know, why not just do it where you just put in the photo stills already? Like, why do the art over it? I mean, obviously, there's an answer for that. It's, it's like the background can match. But like there's comics. What is it? Star Trek New Visions. That's all it is. It's all photo uh, photo. What they call photo novels used to be a really big deal in the 70s and in the early 80s where you would just take screen caps from episodes of a show and then you would turn it into an original story in um you know you turn it into an original story like and you'd sell it as a novel it'd be like a picture book but it was called a photo novel uh these were really awesome battlestar galactica used to do them back you know the real battlestar galactica from 78 and all that uh so yeah i i get that so the star wars and and right now they're on their storyline where they go back to jetta after the events of rogue one and they've been it's been nice to get the inclusiveness of the story of Jin urso and, you know, of everything that happened there, that was really cool. I mean, Jetta's still effectively kind of around, at least in this story so far. And what also was really nice about this, this was this storyline with the Jetta storyline, which, I mean, it's it's been okay. It's not like been knocking my socks off. With the Jetta storyline, they've been doing a phenomenal job of, uh, they brought in a character, 
from the first volume of the Darth Vader comic books. What was it from Sortoon? Was that the name of the planet where like they, they're all they do is mine and they live on this hellish planet and it, like the the queen of Sortoon? She, I think that's the name of the planet. She comes back in this and she's like playing it up very sexy and everything. And, you know, she's referencing what happened between her, like how, you know, nothing can scare her anymore because she's already dealt with Darth Vader, you know, had an encounter with Darth Vader and, you know, been under his thumb at one point. And oh man, like that, that kind of connective tissue is really nice. The comic books are doing a solid job of creating um, an interconnected, you know, storyline and universe that, really should be applied to everything happening in Star Wars, the movies, Rebels, um, you know, the novels, everything. But for whatever reason, it's not. But the comics are, are just shining as far as that goes. So I've been enjoying the Jack, the Jakku storyline so far. We'll, we'll see how that all shapes up. And I like all the references to Rogue One a lot. Uh, so now let, let's talk about Poe Dameron. Then we want to talk about Dr. Aphra. So the Poe Dameron comic, this takes place shortly before The Force Awakens. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably the funniest Star Wars comic out there that, you know, because Poe Dameron is just such a I got to imagine he's such an easy character to write, you know, because like you just you, wisecrack after wisecrack and it works, you know, and, and you can picture Oscar Isaac doing it and it just happens, you know, Uh there have been some interesting things going on in the Poe Dameron comic. Some stuff which I thought was, and I mentioned it on Sovereign Tech Prime episode, that I thought was leading towards this big reveal of new interpretations of the Force that I was expecting in The Last Jedi. Because right now there's a storyline where they're trying to rescue Lor Santeca from the Nemodians, which, great to have the Nemodians back. Any references to the prequels, anytime the prequels are taken seriously, I'm a very happy person. And um, the Poe Dameron comic has been doing that kind of right and left. So you have, you know, they're on Nemodia and um, well, anyway, Lor Santeca's there and he wants to, you know, like the, the idea is that the Nemodians protect or, you know, kind of serve as the now serve as the galaxy's kind of vault. You know, we protect everything. Right. I mean, definitely has shades of like that. There's what is that in the second season or whatever of Game of Thrones? There's that black guy who, you know, had vaults full of everything on a whatever. Anyway, Maybe they're trying to appeal to that sort of sensibility, but I don't know. So, um, so Laura Santeca is like trying to, he just wants to see, he's not going to steal anything. He just wants to see this artifact and this artifact. When he looks at it, he says, Oh, this is amazing. It looks like it was meant to be activated by someone using the light side and somebody using the dark side. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. We're going to get into the gray Jedi. Like at one point, you know, and, and in fact, I think he even explicitly says it, that there was a point where like that light and dark kind of coexisted. They lived together. And, uh, that, that's all very interesting stuff. Like that's, those are the kind of reveals. Those are the, that's the kind of history that I want out of all this tie in stuff. And that I want out of the movies too, but we just don't get, you know, again, with the last Jedi, we learned pretty much nothing about the Jedi, nothing. And that's bullshit. Quite frankly, <laughs> I mean, when you're going to the whole, the first Jedi temple, you would hope to learn a whole hell of a lot more about it, but you don't not without reading the visual guide or something like that, which by the way, when I was going through the visual guide again, I noticed something, the Praetorian guards, the red, you know, the guys in red for Snoke, Snoke's guards and everything in, uh, in the last Jedi, one of their fighting styles that they've learned is Taras Kasai. Woo, that means it's canon, baby. Now, Tarasca Sai, that was a PlayStation game. It was a fighting game, which you would think would make sense for Star Wars, like that that would kind of work. 
but the game's honestly terrible, and it's like ridiculously hard, especially when you get to Darth Vader. But the game is called Masters of Taraskasai. It's supposed to be like you know, like a, like Tekken, but Star Wars. And the fighting style in that that's practiced by um, I think the main character's name is Arden Lin. The fighting style in it is is called Taraskasai, and so that, that's just like a fun tidbit that that's in there. Anyway. So these are the kinds of kinds of things that I want to like be heard that I want to see in the movies that I want to I want to like see more of the connective tissue in a bigger way um, that that happens. And, I, you know, maybe they're still going to go somewhere with this whole gray Jedi stuff. I don't know. But Poe Dameron was real like the comic book was really pointing at that pretty hard. Uh, so Poe Dameron, and, you know, it's just it's it's exciting stuff. The action in it is great. Um I feel like when I read Poe Dameron, I feel like I'm reading like classic uh, Marvel G.I. Joe comics. They're they're really I think they're just about that good. Um, and Leia's in it. And so, you know, that's that's dynamite to any time to encounter that character. Uh, I don't want to say it's the best comic out there for Star Wars. Maybe the best ongoing right now for Star Wars is the Poe Dameron series. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that. So anyway, let's. All right. We got a few minutes. Let's talk about Dr. Aphra here. Now, this this comic has been touch and go like there, there's this whole storyline that revolves around her uh, uh, getting like trying to find this. Well, she wasn't really trying to find it, but she loses her title as doctor, you know, her archaeological credentials. Right. And then she's trying to get them back. She ends up like finding this ancient uh, city in space that's like on an asteroid this, that there's this ancient battle, like literally thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, happened and everything. And she meets this and she ends up stealing this crystal that supposedly carries with it the consciousness of an ancient Jedi named Rur. Well, it turns out that, you know, and he calls himself the immortal Rur. Turns out, you know, yeah, it's some kind of programming, but it's not exactly uh, perfect. Um, of, you know, what, with what's going on there, uh, you know, as far as like maybe it wasn't a perfect representation of this Jedi. Uh, and so, you know, the storyline gets a little weak around that. I liked it when Dr. Aphra was with Luke Skywalker during the Screaming Citadel uh, miniseries, which we covered in last month's Star Wars update. But there's been little hints here and there where Aphra like is seems to be a very like a person that really expresses her sexuality. And she's if she's not bisexual she's at least she's definitely a lesbian at the very least she might be bisexual though um and there is this imperial commander who you find out about this uh, her name well she ends up becoming inspector lieutenant but her name's tolvan magna tolvan i think her name is and like they start building up kind of this relationship and everything. And also the other cool thing about the Dr. Afra comic is the characters of uh, BT and Triple Zero which are these like killer literal killer robot version or you know like they're all in black you know these mirror versions of c-3po and r2d2 uh and those characters are hilarious you know and you get black karen stan who he's he's lots of fun you know the big the big wookie there uh yeah this comic i mean it kind of has ups and downs and this is one where some of the storylines i felt went too long like they spent too much time on it but just the last issue that they did, it's which is the second part of their latest storyline, where they're exploring more of this relationship between the woman, uh, you know, uh, Inspector Tolvin and Dr. Afra. Ooh, it's heating up <laughs> like I am really I am very pleased that that, you know, Disney is at the very least allowing Marvel 
to explore, you know, this, you know, lesbianism and a bunch of other stuff within the Star Wars universe and making it pretty sexy. I mean, like they're really, really making Dr. Aphra a very sexy character. I am enjoying the hell out of that comic book, even though, like I said, a couple points, the story went way too long, way too fucking long. Uh, but otherwise, like the the abstract and kind of the bigger picture being painted is incredible. And I, I get the sense that Dr. Afra is going to be if we're ever going to get where a literary character jumps onto the screen in a big way. Dr. Afra is probably going to be our first one to do that o- other than maybe Sana Solo from the um, from the main Star Wars comic. Uh, because she or Staros, actually, her real last name is Staros. Sana Staros is probably going to be in the solo movie. I don't know. I can't. I shouldn't even say that. I don't know. But it's a good bet. So uh, and she's a cool character, too. I mean, a lot a lot of fun stuff going on, you know, as far as that goes that you've seen in a lot of the one shots recently that existed within the Star Wars main comic book. Another quick thing. Okay, I'm going to leave you with this. So the Dr. Afro comic, you want to be reading this. Lots of fun. Lots of interesting stuff going on. Ancient history, all of that. Lots of sexuality. And leads in very nicely to what I think is one of the more brilliant Star Wars stories told in recent memory. That being the Screaming Citadel, where it's very kind of Castlevania. Um, But I'm going to leave you with this. Something else that gets explored in the Poe Dameron comic a lot is just how... And and you kind of get hints in this in other tie-in material, like that the resistance specifically, the resistance treats their droids like humans, like they treat their droids as people, you know, they were, they really respect droids. Now it's interesting in the force awakens, Ray also treats BB eight a lot like it's a person and won't let BB eight get slaved or anything and, you know, treated incorrectly or whatever. Um, it's almost odd just how much, because it, like in the Poe Dameron comic, you get a lot of this. And in fact, you find out BB-8 literally has a girlfriend, not a woman, but a, uh, you know, another astromech droid that is, again, literally BB-8's girlfriend. And, and this like it's it's getting into and then you had that weird existential kind of comic that had to do with how C-3PO got his red arm and everything. There is this weird strain of storyline where they are trying, it seems like they're trying really hard to humanize the droids and where they're trying to make it seem like, Hey, you know, we're treating droids like shit. And I don't know if they have some major story plan for the future where there's this like huge droid rebellion and they're going to go all Battlestar Galactica, uh, or something like that. Like they did in, I mean, the last Jedi kind of borrowed from the, the, and I mean the, like the 2005 Battlestar Galactica, the piece of shit, uh, the last Jedi kind of borrowed from that, even though this was interesting. The um, like because, you know, how they were, you know, they the uh, the Radis, the resistance could be, you know, aboard the Radis. They could be traced through hyperspace on Snoke ship, you know, via Snoke ship. That was kind of kind of Battlestar Galactica ish, how the Cylons could track where the humans would end up and everything. And they always keep showing up and they'd keep the, you know, they'd keep the humans awake or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of borrowing from that. Um, but it was interesting that and I, in fact, I called this I said this back when Rogue One came out, I said, when all those, when they're on Scarif, okay, and Jin and Cassian are going through, they're trying to find the Death Star plans, and they're, like, mentioning all these other plans, I said, whatever though, whatever they're, they're labeling, whatever they're talking about, whatever they're mentioning, you're going to find out about that in some other movie or in some other book or something like that. Like, they had a bunch of different projects that they mentioned, uh, not just the Death Star. One of them, though, that they mentioned was hyperspace tracking. 
And so the Empire was working on hyperspace tracking for a very long time. And, of course, then in The Last Jedi, well, it looks like they perfected or at least the First Order ended up perfecting it. Maybe it was because of, um, like in the uh, the visual guide for The Last Jedi, it talks about how, like, the computers that handle the hyperspace tracking, uh, you know, tracing people with or tracking people within hyperspace, the computers that handle that actually exist within a hyperspace bubble that allows them to do faster computations, kind of like a quantum computer, but I guess in this case would be a hyperspace computer, which I thought was really, uh, you know, really fascinating that that was there. Anyway, that, that's just, that's a tidbit. But um, the point I was wanting to make, yeah, it's very weird that that there is this, with the droids, they're, I mean, they're trying really hard to kind of humanize these things. Part of me, like, wonders if Disney knows that, oh shit, you know, AI is going to become a part, like in, in real life, in the real world, not in Star Wars, in our real world, that AI is going to become this big deal and we're going to allow Star Wars to co- exist because we, uh, you know, we stood up for the, <laughs> we stood up for the droids, we stood up for the robots. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that. But uh, uh, but yeah, but it, it feels like maybe we're going to end up with kind of a Cylon versus human conflict and, may, you know, maybe that's something that's that's coming down the line. Uh, just to, I mean, there's no point in me being theoretical about it because Disney will obviously change their mind at the drop of a hat. But th- this is a big recurring, uh, like or not a big, it's a subtle but large recurring theme throughout all of the tie-in media that droids should be given a lot more respect than they have, uh, which is really interesting. And I just wonder where that's eventually going to culminate, you know, when that's going to become a big deal. And and it is getting a little odd. Like, I mean, droids have, have girlfriends now. I, I mean, it's fine, you know, go ahead. But it's just... Get a little out there. So anyway, all right, that's it. Uh, went a went a few minutes longer than I intended with this. Um, that's it for 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 this week's Star Wars or this month's Star Wars update for December. Uh, we'll be covering because there will be kind of less content out there um, throughout January. Um, we'll be diving into kind of a, a little bit of backlog in January, and we'll probably have to do that through much of 2018. We'll see how that all shapes up. Um, I definitely I haven't seen The Last Jedi again yet. I still plan on doing that. And maybe I'll do like a after I've seen it five times review. How about that? Uh, and we'll do something like that in a future Star Wars update. So anyway, that's it for this one. Uh, of course, you'll have your Star Trek update for December 2017 coming up as well. We got a lot to talk about in that. And uh, whoo, great Sovereign Tech lined up. I will see you on the other side.